1: What do you mean? I couldn't be the president of the United States of America. Tell me something, it's still we, the people, right? If there's a new way, I'll be the first in line. But it better work this time. My friends, this is Agitators Anonymous, episode 116. I'm Alan Averill. And you are very welcome to Friday's episode. Hello me, meet the real me. Indeed, well at least meet the me who spent most of the pandemic and lockdown whinging and whining, complaining, moaning, or, depending on your point of view, being very deep and insightful, about politics. Well, something I should probably stay away from. But here we are. Let's have a little bit of Realpolitik today, my friends. So just a little bit of housekeeping and this and that kind of thing before we get started. Um, Primordial's only club show in Germany is on the 22nd of July in Dresden at the Reit Halla Strasse E. Werner Hartmann Strasse Svei in Dresden. Um, we're playing with Of the Wand and the Moon, which is pretty interesting and pretty cool. Um, and as of right now, it looks like being the only small german club show that primordial has all year so yeah try and get to that one write that down mark it down all that kind of thing Namthiang underscore primordial is the instagram and primordial underscore official if you want to follow our rather mundane and trivial adventures over on the gram you can support the show On Patreon.com slash Alan Averill. There ain't no tears, as I can't figure them out yet. Um, Rehearsals, other podcasts, all that kind of thing. And let's get the sponsorship stuff out of the way. The show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. In North America, you can use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off your order. And that includes O Canada as well in that deal. The links are underneath in the description um, also, Hate Couture um, is a French up and coming, getting pretty popular, getting pretty, uh, getting a lot of headlines, I suppose. Hateful yet tasteful, apparel, loads of cool stuff. Of course, you need an inverted cross bottle opener. You need some cool board shorts with um, Vlad the Impaler on them, all that kind of thing. You can go to www.hatecouture, H A T E C O. U T U R E 616.com forward slash. You can find the links in the description. Use the promo code A L A N and you can get free shipping, which right now comes at quite the advantage because it is exorbitant and utterly ridiculous, just like the cost of everything else in your world right now. So, as you can probably hear, I sound a little bit under the weather. No, it is not, um, it is not the big C, it is just being old and a little bit run down and hitting it a bit too hard at the weekend. When I was at Hellfest, our little cabin was beside the cro And I had a very brief, hey, how are you doing, exchange with Harley Flanagan, who doesn't know me from Adam. Um, and the man is in quite exceptional shape. Maybe we all need to take a little leaf out of Harley's book. Harley's book, Harley's war. Yeah, all that kind of thing. I think I really could. So if my voice does not have its usual dulcet resonant tones then i do apologize you can blame it on the weekend yes not the weekend but the weekend okay so let's get into a bit of this why is your financial independence under threat now um of course the caveat being as i always say when beginning these kind of discussions there are discussions about potentialities and i'm not saying they're certainties and that is quite different so i mean. If something like this, somebody wants to rake through the podcast in two or three years and go, aha, you said this. Well, look, the podcast wouldn't be that much fun and it wouldn't be very exciting. It wouldn't be called Agitators Anonymous if it was just me going, yeah, some things might happen, but you know, probably not. Sure, just relax, chillax, take it easy. That wouldn't be much of a podcast. And of course, it wouldn't really be my style. So, although I've said it uh, several times over the last few months, um, I understand the great feeling of weariness um, and inertia. Most people have over three words like the Great Reset or about politics in general. Um, and look, I'm going to talk about Dutch farming in this episode. Yep, that's what we're going to talk about. Not just eighty speed metal. That's the Tuesday's episodes. But we're going to talk a little tiny bit about the farming, uh, the agrarian um, culture in the Netherlands. Um, or oh, the Netherlands. Uh, at least... What can we say? Outside of the percentage of people still fighting the good fight in the culture wars, there is a great sense of weariness in approaching some of these topics. Um, however, you know, um, in fairness, when it comes to these battles, these these games, um, they've had some pitch repairs to the old abortion battleground lately um, for some new Super Sunday clashes. Um, I'm not going to get into that quite yet, maybe, on some other ill-advised podcast I will, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, In general, I sense uh, very few people want to wade back into the murky waters of lockdown politics, or at least the politics that um, have been following and are following in the wake of lockdown and the pandemic as they've only just really been able to see their feet again in the sort of shallow waters. Wow, what some terrible metaphors going on there. I do apologize for those things. What can I say? I'm feeling a bit under the weather. Um, My brain fog is still um, still enveloping my grey matter. But I do fear many political, cultural, uh, technological, and frankly authoritarian movements that found their modus operandi, their mode of being, over the pandemic, are going to become more and more relevant to our lives as we move forward and more and more relevant to our daily discussions, if they are not already. Now, like I said, of course, my own personal caveat and what I say every time I discuss things like this is, of course, nothing is absolute. I'm not saying 100% of these things may happen, um, but I'm certainly not saying 0% of them either. The truth will, of course, be somewhere in the grey area, and there's no doubt about it. But even if 20-25% of some of these things do come true, they can have massive implications and ramifications for um, your day-to-day living. But in, on, in in terms of this podcast, your finances and your financial freedom. Of course, um, that has been the kind of keynote, the background Uh, movement behind all of the podcasts, the concepts of liberty being the most important word in the English language. Come at me me if you disagree. However, the truth is that 0% is not going to happen either. 0% of these um, prognostications, these, these things that I'm considering right now and I'm about to get into... You know, these things may collapse under the weight of their own bureaucracy. Um, Some many, many things throughout the last 20, 30, 40 years have just been a glint in the eye of a pushy civil servant that never went any further than just being drafts. Um, governmental drafts. Just, of course, these days in the age of um, modern media and um, information overload, we hear about everything that maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't hear about every movement within governmental circles. But I'm going to kind of look at that, the fact that everything seems to be sort of opaque now. Even the most uh, fundamentally dastardly authoritarian and undemocratic concepts don't even seem to be Ah, they don't even seem to bother hiding them anymore. It's just like, yeah, well, look, it's out there. Do whatever you want to do. Um, however, some of this might ca- collapse, collapse, collapse under its own bureaucracy. Um, as I said, my brain fog is quite profound today. Um, but it could be that governments around the world realise, um, you know, to the absolute folly of elements of what unelected technocrats are trying to um, impose on us. And they, you know, sometimes they listen to the people and they move to oppose those things. Now, I'm not too sure whether that's going to happen right now, but your government might include, in fact, some of those very people who, um, you know, are, they are lobbied by those unelected technocrats. What the fuck am I talking about? What the fuck am I talking about indeed? I'm going to try and connect a few dots as regard our personal economic freedom and, of course, good old-fashioned liberty. A man's house. A man's house is his castle, right? In fact, one of the reasons, <clears throat> just to go off on a tiny tangent, one of the reasons, for example, North America economically triumphed um, while South America, with far more of the natural resources, did not, is the ownership of land. It's the working off of your indentured servitude, or whatever you want to say. The ownership of land is part of what our concept of freedom is built upon. The right to own your own piece of land, to build on it um, as you see fit, and therefore have the roof over your head to bring up your family um, with a certain amount of certainty in the world that you had this roof over your head, um, metaphorically and very real in the physical, corporeal corporeal sense. But, as the Great Reset tells you, you will own nothing and you will be happy, right? Right? I mean, I have no doubt wherever you are in the world, it is becoming harder and harder to buy a house, right? Certainly in Dublin, a whole generation of people uh, will not own somewhere to live, um, but end up having to pay rent. Not from individual landlords like before. I mean, you know, back in the day in the 90s when we used Sign to Hammerheart Records with the band, we spent a lot of time in Holland. And, um, you know, talking to those guys and their families, they would say, yeah, we have a deal with, um, you know, a 50-year rental deal, inflation linked with the local uh, state or the local council, etc., etc. This is not exactly what I'm talking about when we talk about the government or BlackRock or Chinese investment firms buying up all of the living space in your city. These There's a slightly different thing going on there. But... This generation, um, which includes me, my generation, will almost exclusively end up having to rent, but not from individual landlords like before, but governments. And like I said, the likes of these investment firms. And considering how we're we're going to talk about um, these things are going to be tethered to your, potentially tethered to your financial freedom, let's discuss a bit about that. However, there is something sort of important that's happening in the news that caught my eye that I wanted to sort of um, go over a bit. And that is that Dutch farmers are protesting at the government's declaration that they will, before 2030, seize farmland. And in essence, along with the plan for, if I don't misunderstand this, one-fifth of Europe, to all intents and purposes, rewild it. Um, Now, I have to say that for those of you who cheer on any and all climate restrictions, your little mini Attenborough inside you on your shoulder... Um, screaming with delight and banging its feet. I get it. I really do get it. And I think there is a terrible sense that any discussions about climate, about climate change, and also climate restrictions and climate lockdown is never quite fairly heard. Um, You can't really bring up any questions about it because the reaction is so emotional. And, you know, whereas, you know, during COVID, it was, don't you want, do you want my grandmother to die? Um, now it's, do you want my planet to die? And the answer is, no, of course not. But I got some questions. I got some questions. And that should always be the answer, that there can be a debate in the middle to reach a consensus. And the idea that every issue that is put to us about climate is um, put to us from a truthful perspective, as in governments, um, and I'm not saying that, for example, climate change itself is not ma- um, you know, being um, pushed on by man-made um you know, being helped along the way by our own machinations, what I'm trying to say is um, governmental procedures, governmental um, proposals that don't really have climate at their heart. What they have is systems of control and manipulation. Now that's the kind of sidestep discussion that I would like to get into. Um, <clears throat> the idea that um, the idea that climate, the our climate argument might, Also be used to enact measures of societal control. That's what I want to discuss. The debate is after all, the climate debate, I think for the most part is an industrial one, right? And what you do as a suburban individual in Helsinki or Copenhagen or Dublin or wherever you're from, it really matters little compared to what massive Chinese factories do. Um, or throughout the developing world, and of course, you know, for among uh, multinational corporations across the West, and the pollute the polluting of the atmosphere that they do, and they're lobbying to get round um, all of these restrictions or all of the all of this uh, with governments all across the West. And what you do personally, I think, matters less. But of course, the idea is uh, through a sort of sense of Western collective guilt, could this climate change argument be used to seize elements of our personal liberty or civil liberties, that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that I want to discuss. But of course, it's very hard to do that because most people don't see past the first part of that argument and they think, are you saying that this isn't happening? No, not at all. But there is a discussion to be had. What is and what is not real can sometimes be hard to ascertain. And what is being used and to play your sense of guilt is also sometimes difficult and hard to ascertain. Um, Yet, it will, um, as individuals, you may be over the coming decade asked to give up more and more of your personal rights, but sold to you under the guise of climate. This is kind of what I'm trying to get at. So try and emotionally detach yourself from the argument to consider the implications on this level, as this is what I'm going to talk about today. The Dutch government, headed by Mark Rutte, never heard of him before, Um, headed by this guy, who it would appear is a form, at least to me from the outside looking in, a a form of a mini Trudeau in the making, an acolyte, a minion of the um, World Economic Forum, is discussing through this plan, uh, which is connected to Agenda 2030, of seizing land from uncooperative farmers. Nitrogen emissions. Nitrogen. Um, Yeah, you know, you've heard the joke, they want us eating bugs. Well, Anyway, you consider a digital passport, as I talked about many times before, a biometric passport, ID linked to your health that advises you at first. Um, you should make some better choices with your life. But then as time passes, reduces your capacity to make choices about what food you buy. Um, shouldn't you eat less meat, etc., etc.? I'll try and explain where I'm coming from with this. Um, I will say off the top that messing with the food production chain has had some disastrous consequences over the 20th century. Um, One only has to look at Mao's great leap forward in China, which killed around 50 million people to see where it can lead. Now, of course, I'm being slightly disingenuous, reaching for the top shelf disaster to illustrate my point. But I will say, um, fiddling and messing with food production of all things um, can have disastrous consequences. But reading the EU proposal, it would appear the nitrogen levels in the wild, yeah, I kid you not, Maybe morally more important than, you know, you being able to feed your kid is kind of the implications. At least to me, moving to disrupt the food chain is playing with fire, as I always say. We, as a species in the civilised world, are only three days away from a zombie apocalypse if we cannot feed our kids. If the shelves are not full, then give people three or four days and they will riot and they will tear apart the places in order to feed their kids. In other places in the world who have a a kind of can't farm today, can't eat tomorrow um, idea. um, You probably heard me say that before when a a friend of mine from uh, Morocco said that to me who I play football with. He just went, Alan, you guys are you guys are too rich. We are in a kind of can't eat today or can't eat tomorrow because we can't farm today sort of idea in that people are working to feed themselves. And so, in a sense, the um, the means of production ho oh, are within their hands, so to say, whereas the means of food production kind of aren't really in your day-to-day hands, especially if you're not working the gig economy, the IT tech um, pajama party economy. If you go into your local shop after work and you go, oh, there ain't no food, Um now we have a problem, right? So they say that we're only three or four days away from the shelves not being full till people riot. So Mark Rutter um, has, it would seem, called in the Dutch military to deal with some of this. Now, how they deal with the farmers' protests remains, remains to be seen, but by all accounts, they are already labelling them as extremists uh, and pretty soon, I would imagine, fascists. Um, but it might be possible... They, uh, it might be possible they copy a page from Trudeau's authoritarian playbook when he dealt with the Canadian trucker protest and they start freezing assets, which to me, at least, this was one of the most pivotal moments of the lockdown period and showed the intent to remove normal people's right to protest. And by all accounts, um, you know, just looking at things this morning before starting this, these are some of the claims that are being laid against them. I don't think they've quite gone to calling them Nazis yet, because I think this has a different resonance in Europe um, than maybe in Canada. But, you know, Trudeau simply called the truckers Nazis and whatever phobia and ism fitted his woke narrative. And in the end, never met with them, never debated them because he didn't have to. Once he labeled them as that, then you don't have to. Um, and I really want you to consider on these terms, the use of the word Nazi over the last decade. The technocratic powers that be, at least to me, have been seeding the use of this word in society for about a decade. I mean, it used to be a really heavy thing to call someone. You were called that in the 90s, or so you called someone that in the 90s. It It was greeted with a, ooh, in the classroom of like, fucking hell, you went there. You went there, Wow. Um, but now it just seems to really mean little more than eh, someone I kind of disagree with. And it's thrown about with way too much abandon. And the word has kind of lost its its weight, its, its meaning, its seriousness. But what it's also done, um, and I think this has been used by governments and people like Trudeau, for example, it just basically means now I don't need to debate you or listen to your argument or even hear what you have to say. Um, you know what? They never found those weapons of mass destruction in Iraq either, did they? But keep watching to see if that kind of language appears um, or starts to be used by the Dutch Prime Minister. It seems that just the go-to to shut people down and never have to debate them in an open public forum. Um, certainly, I watched a parliamentary debate in the Dutch Parliament and he dismisses questions put to him uh, about the Great Reset. Oh, he just goes, oh, it's conspiracy theory. Um and then I went back and watched another um, video presentation where he is, uh, it would seem, addressing the World Economic Forum or clearly um, clearly referencing them. So, lying, basically, I would say. Well, at least it would appear to me so. Um, when it's clear through, as I said, these other interviews, he knows very well about its implications. Oh, bugs, I tell you. Well, they do want to reduce livestock emissions, nitrogen. Um, So what's the beef? Oh, you can have that one for free. Uh, So therefore, of course, this means fewer grain farms as they, uh, you know, these are needed to feed the livestock. Um, And they've simply written, there is not a future for all farmers in this approach, the the Dutch government say. So they basically are saying to them, hey, learn to code, deal with it. Um, And there are still people who will call Agenda 2030, oh, it's just a conspiracy theory. Um, so if they dismantle the Dutch rural farming economy who uh, as i understand it are the second biggest exporters of um meat in the world after the USA could be, could be getting that wrong but there's a the second biggest uh, something or other connected to this after the USA um aren't we all living right now in the post ukraine war economy right remember how much we were told the war in ukraine is a it's a disaster when it comes to grain and this is why Uh, food prices are rising. Surely dismantling the Dutch agrarian farming economy would do the same to um, the European food production line. I don't know. Apparently the Dutch Farmers Party have, according to one poll, 4.6% of the vote. But this could rise and they could end up with 11 members of parliament as a projection. Um, And I've said this before in the podcast, if we take the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Forum at face value, and what they want for our future, then the dismantling of democracy has to be part of that. It just simply gets in the way. Oh, do we have a democracy anyway, Alan? Blah blah blah. Yeah, I get it. Stop with the whataboutery. Um, I get it. It was never perfect, but wasn't lockdown a good example of shutting down the civil liberties involved in democracy? Your government, no doubt, has. Your your government, no doubt, as has mine. Um, You know, they enacted emergency powers and goddammit, they really, really liked them, didn't they? They really didn't want to go back to asking the pesky public. But the pandemic and the suspension of democracy set a precedent. Watch this space. And that is that emergency powers don't need to be put to the public. So if we're in climate emergency, then obviously you don't need to ask the farmers really about... Um, if they mind that you shut down their entire economy, their livelihood, their, you know, historical culture and also, um, you know, their future, economically. Etc, etc. You know what I mean. Um, And there is one thing, there is one thing that really kind of came to my mind as an observation comparing um, things from decades past. Now, it may just be, of course, that I was a a young fella, a young fella in Dublin. Um, But, Dublin and Ireland could be brought to a standstill in the 80s if the state crossed farmers. I mean, Ireland is traditionally uh, a a farming, um, you know, it's a farming society. Other than tourism, it would have been our biggest economy. Um, And it's traditionally what Ireland was built upon, our dairy economy. And you knew very well that if the state crossed farmers, um, the whole of the city centre would be shut down by farmers driving their, you know, their trucks and their whatever else up and just blocking motorways everywhere. Um, And in fact, I remember many moments spent listening to the news on the radio uh, when there was this strike and that standoff between the various union groups and state officials. And not just in relation to Ireland, but also the EU. And you always heard about the EU butter mountain, the EU dairy quotas, and the EU this, that, and the other. And are we going to allow Eastern European countries into the EU this, that, and the other? And what can they provide when it comes to um, all of these things. Um, and yet now, is it, my ama- is, it my, is it my imagination or is COVID, the lockdown and the pandemic, quite simply emboldened governments in the West to not feel like they need to even consult the people or that working class people might push back against the idea that, hey, you, some of you farmers won't have jobs, tough. Feeding your kids as a society is less important than nitrogen emissions. Deal with it. Got nowhere to live? Deal with it. They got their emergency powers and emergency situations uh, during lockdown when they simply didn't have to consult the people. So now, who cares? Eat bugs, live in a pod, put your goggles on and stay in the metaverse and consume. We are going to educate your kids within the metaverse. Never mind this pesky thing called democracy. Or am I just being hyperbolic? Of course I'm being hyperbolic. The podcast is called... Agitator is anonymous. The clue is in the name. It would be all a bit boring if I wasn't a little bit on the dramatic side, of course. God damn it, I'm feeling a bit Marxist today. As the man said, seize the means of production. Don't set out to destroy it. That's a common misconception. Um, pub chat, pub chat, my friends. What am I leading to with this? Um, and this is what the main thrust of the podcast is that I wanted to get to. Um, my main midweek thrust. Um what am I leading to do with this? And look, I can hold my hand up and say, I don't fully understand Bitcoin. I really, I've tried, I kind of do. I understand the principle, um, you know, a decentralized banking network. Um, I understand the concept of mining, the sort of ledger aspect of it. But everyone I know who got into it has lost money. Pretty much everyone. Greater and larger amounts. The people who advocate for it, although on some level have done a reasonable job explaining it, cannot still really tell me how it affects my day today. But for sure, of course, governments and the old banking system have noticed. And as we talk, I think 86 banks around the world are creating their own CBDC. What is CBDC? CBDC stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. Um, And this would appear to me to be the the old institutions morphing to challenge Bitcoin. Um, one of the greatest things about Bitcoin is its decentralized network. But this would do the exact opposite. And as I stated at the top, it could be used as a great measure of social control. Now, Rishi Sunak, the UK uh, UK minister, has just resigned. I'm not sure what the implications uh, of that are for uh, the things that I'm discussing in this podcast. I mean, you know, maybe he resigned because of a, a slander or a slur. I said about him during the lockdown. Who knows? Maybe it really got to him. It got under his skin and decided, I can't live with the condemnation of that Averill chap. Anyway, he, prior to this, had been urging all G7 nations to implement this as soon as possible. So what would it mean? And why could it be put to use for so much evil? Well, it basically means as we move to a more cashless society that the government would issue its own form of crypto, basically, its own digital currency. And here is where it gets dark. It would be, or could be, but I would say would be, programmable. The government could program in restrictions, for example, that you cannot buy a flight with this, um, with this state, CBDC. You do not, in essence, have financial autonomy that you had before, as in, your paycheck comes in to your digitally to your bank account every month, but it's not the euro as you knew before. You can't just take it out as you wish and do whatever you wish with it. But it has programmable restrictions within it. Let's say, let's examine them. Let's say it says you cannot buy more alcohol than you need. This is only X amount of units um, and you can already see that during the pandemic, at least we saw this very clearly in Ireland, our health ministers, a certain health ministers saw the pandemic as, a, as an advantage to try and try and tackle culturally Ireland's drinking issues. Now, some of you may think that that seems like a good idea. Personally, I think it's it's really up to you. It's your personal liberty. It's your personal decision. Um, but imagine, so then you get your CBDC payment to you, every month or now it could be your UBI, your universal basic income paid to you in CBDC. Um, and therefore it will come with caveats and restrictions and all this kind of stuff. So maybe it will say, well, I think you have bought enough alcohol this month. Um, maybe you're not going to be able to buy tobacco with it. For example, we already see several countries looking to move against vaping. This is happening in the USA and tobacco. New Zealand talking about ultimately banning tobacco, it completely, talking about banning it completely. Um, Another satellite uh, state of the World Economic Forum, um, or at least their uh, dear leader is. um, And so what you have is a digital currency that is tightly controlled by the state. Now, I don't know about you, but the freedom to do as I please with what I earn, is basically the reason that I work, or the reason that you work? I would imagine to not have Big Brother pulling your purse strings. But if you but if you ask me, this is exactly what could be planned for us, um, and it will be sold to us as the idea that this unelected technocratic elite know what's best for us to quote unquote save the planet, amongst many other things. But imagine that this, um, imagine that this CBDC this digital currency has an expiry date? Because, you know, in, term, in times of crisis, people want to hold on to their money as things seem uncertain. But the state wants you to spend it. What if it had a 30-day expiry limit? What if the digital... Now, let's get to the hub of this, but what if this digital currency was frozen for protesting? Or if your GPS placed you at a certain protest that the government deemed um, undesirable... Um, or protest against your government, such as the Dutch farmers or such as the Canadian truckers. And you woke to find your phone turned red and you were unable to um, use your passcode to get into your various different financial platforms. You were unable to buy a train ticket or you were unable to buy um, certain, um, a certain kind of food. You were unable to buy enough food um, or anything other than a few essentials. Sounds a bit like what certain supermarkets were practicing during lockdown, right? Remember they when they um, only allowed you to buy essentials. Do you think maybe that was a kind of a bit prepping for the future? I don't want to sound like one of those, let's build a bunker in the back garden, guys. One of those end-of-world end preppers or whatever they're called. Like I said, I'm just having a practical discussion um, about some of the things that, you know, could happen. Might They might not happen. I mean, they might, but why did so many governments around the world bearing Bring in so many new laws to move against your right to protest. Oh, it's going to be too noisy for the poor uh, people in the suburbs or whatever else. Am I connecting too many dots? Am I overreaching? The fact is that all of this already exists in China, a country many of the World Economic Forum leaders and their government plants around the world like Trudeau have expressed admiration for. And they have also, the CCP has made keynote speeches to the World Economic Forum. Now link this, for example, link all of this to a personal carbon footprint. And we enter the realms of a form, a form of climate lockdown. Or uh, lockdown might be the wrong word, but climate restrictions. Now, for someone living on an island, this scares the fuck out of me. The idea of being stuck on this rainy, cold, grey outpost without the ability to travel, uh, which is your right to own a passport, to travel, to move, But hey, Alan, why will you want to travel when you can just use your Oculus Rift um, glasses to be able to look at those places instead of go there in the real world um, and just sit there atrophying into some putrescent physical mess on your couch. Um, Lots of heavy metal sort of words in there. Oculus Rift, what a bloody cool name, by the way. I'm pretty sure the people who invented that have to have been metal fans. Oculus Rift, that is a killer black metal pseudonym. Anyway... Step into the metaverse, indeed. And of course, it goes without saying, a personal carbon footprint is the end of touring, the end of live festivals, the end of travelling to play gigs, all those kind of events. They are just gone. It will be all local. Um, Of course, you go, oh, that's why you're invested in this. No, not only. But you've probably heard your uh, leaders discussing 5 kilometer living. Certainly, our Taoiseach... Uh, here of the time during the pandemic Leo discussed the idea that oh wouldn't it be great if everything you needed in your life was just in this 5 kilometer radius now I don't know about you but this reminds me of living in the 16th century um, where people were born lived and died almost within exclusively within the same 5, 10, 15 radius now place that maybe In the context of Norman Ireland, um, where if you're inside the castle, you're all right, but outside the castle, well, fend for yourself. And that is what I think in essence is being proposed, a sort of form of neo-feudalism. Anyway, a digital currency that could be frozen at will by your governments for dissent. Um, A digital currency you cannot buy what you wish. Um, A digital currency that has an expiry date, but yet it is linked to your, obviously, your phone, to your digital apps, your platforms, um, uh, maybe even, indeed, your heart rate, etc. But it monitors your health and decides what is best for you by excluding cigarettes and alcohol, for example. Um, And, in essence, all of these things add up to being its own form of contraception on a broader cultural level, right? Um, It will freeze or reduce its worth if you are found guilty of a hate crime, of being in line with those fascist protesters, um, or if you're in line with the far left or the far right, which we've been led to believe all our neighbors are, while we all tell on each other. um, A central bank digital currency could very well be all of those things. My money, my choice, right? Yeah, my money, my choice. Let me read you a small excerpt from Klaus Schwab's book, the Great Reset and ask yourself, does it look or sound familiar? And this comes back to the climate thing. So airports. This is from Klaus Schwab's. This is from his book. I'm reading it right in front of me. Airports. Airports face the same challenges as airlines. The less people fly, the less they transit via Airports. This in turn affects the level of consumption in the various shops and restaurants that make up the ecosystem of all international airports throughout the world. Furthermore, the experience of airports in a post-COVID-19 world involving longer waiting times, highly restricted or even no hand luggage and other potentially inconvenient social distancing measures could erode the consumer desire to travel by air for pleasure and leisure. Various trade associations warn that the implementation of social distancing policies would not only limit airport capacity to 20 to 40%, but would also likely render the whole experience so disagreeable as to become a deterrent. Dramatically affected by the lockdowns, airlines begin to cancel or defer orders for new aircraft and to change their choice of particular model. In doing so, severely impacting the aerospace industry as a direct consequence and for the foreseeable future. Basically, what he's saying in this passage is Um, Let's create chaos in the airports uh, to stop people traveling. And also there was, you pair this with a recent study in the UK, which said what we need to do is shut every airport in the UK, except for Stansted, to offset the uh, climate argument, the climate agenda. Basically, if you put all of these things together, it doesn't take um, a super informed or super shall we say, a person who, who's really, you know, looking that much in depth, if you connect a few of these dots to go, hang on, wait, what? There's a future being formed for you, which is basically stating, stay inside to save the world. Um, and here's the restrictions we're going to uh, form around you, a form of gilded cage. Like I said, take me with a grain of salt if you want. And I would, I would. Of course, all of this could collapse under its own bureaucracy, and some of it is just incredible overreach. Some of it is just obviously patently nonsense. But these are coming to a cinema near you soon, if you ask me. And it may be worth beginning to consider that that trailer was made in the first place. Someone made the trailer. As I know some of you don't want to watch it. But I think the first thing that some people need to do is to stop using the word or the terms conspiracy theory, to simply put down things they haven't bothered looking into yet and stop accepting governments across the EU, demonizing working class people and their concerns as white supremacy or fascism or whatever else. This is simply what they do in order to stoke the culture wars, keep the class war alive and demonize everyday working people and their concerns. And it may sound to some of you like, wow, Alan Sarending, vaguely Marxist. Well, maybe so, maybe so, at least in terms of these things, when I see the concept of holding power to account and the sort of future that seems to be shaped for um, people without their input, without their knowledge, and by and large, um, I guess, um, without their understanding. Of course, um, as I stated off the top of the podcast, this may not happen. It all may fall apart um, and the 400 million people in the Eurozone may just not accept it. Because the other thing is that, is this, that these potential restrictions in the West, in the EU, I would see are being yoked upon the West, where the money is, in a sense, to squeeze and force out the middle class, to create a basically like a worldwide um, lower class and a sort of neo-feudalist system where only a very small... A uh, percentage of unelected people reap the uh, the rewards of the system, and so as I said, a kind of new feudalism. And in that new feudalistic system, you have to remove upward mobility for all but a very few. And so, for example, CBDC, um, a you know a universal digital currency. Uh, which maybe morphs into UBI for all the millions of people who become unemployed at this displacement, such as farmers like this, with a digital currency tethered and linked to the government's programmable programmable controls. Does it really seem like that um, crazy, that crazy a suggestion? Like I said, the whole thing might collapse once these people, these civil service bods who uh, created much of this, um, along with their World Economic Forum, overlords, realise that Yeah, okay, well, the zombie apocalypse is only three or four days away if we can't put food on the shelves. So maybe sticking a huge, big, um, Greta Thunberg-shaped fist into the spokes of food production are going to create chaos. Or maybe not. Maybe the whole thing is just um, theater. Well, my friends, my money, my choice. Like I said, hello me, meet the real me the irritating political me. Agitators Anonymous, episode 116, My Money, My Choice. It's about personal financial freedom and the potential implications of certain things that are happening happening within the system and how governments and states around the world are going to potentially co-opt digital currency. Or maybe not. Until next time, enjoy your speed metal weekend, my friends.